It's hard to believe it's only been a week since we were together. It's been such a hard week, hasn't it? Especially for our neighbors in southeast Texas and in western Louisiana, but also for those of us who have been watching and praying and positioning ourselves to help from the shelter of our own dry homes. Hurricane Harvey and the flood it spawned unprecedented and not yet subsided, still swelling into its second week in some areas, taking many lives, destroying livelihoods, separating families, disrupting communities, draining life-sustaining resources, and triggering all kinds of calamity. It has swamped even our imaginations. As it swept toward us, we were still staggering. Remember from the hate, violence, and death erupting out of Charlottesville. We were already exhausted by the climate of divisiveness and bitter disagreement, the failure of dialogue and debate that has clouded our nation and threatened others. And then midweek, I received, as many of you did, Richard Rohr's meditation titled, Forgiving Reality for Being What It Is. In it, Rohr, and I don't know if he wrote this weeks ago or in the middle of the week, but in it he refers to another great flood, the flood by which all floods are measured, the story of Noah and the ark. You remember, God tells Noah to bring into the ark all the opposites, the wild and the domestic, the crawling and the flying, the clean and the unclean, the male and female of each animal. Then, writes Roar, God does a most amazing thing. God locks them together in the ark. God puts all the natural animosities, all the opposites together, and holds them in one place. Roar says, I used to think it was about balancing all the opposites within me, within us. But slowly, I have learned that it is actually holding things, holding things in their seemingly unreconciled state that, that widens and deepens the soul. We must allow things to be only partly resolved without perfect closure, without explanation. And this is hard for most of us. The ego always wants to settle the dust quickly and have answers now, and it wants those answers to be consistent with our expectations, with our dreams for ourselves, our families, our tribes, our, our nation. But occupying reality sometimes requires forgiving reality for not meeting all our needs. We must sometimes simply bear it day by day or even hour by hour. It was only last week that we heard Peter be the first 
to identify the first to out Jesus as the Messiah. You remember, he seemed to blurt it out so quickly in response to Jesus' question, who do you say that I am, that we have to wonder if he even surprised himself. Jesus praised him and identified him as the stuff upon which the church would be built. And then the reading ended. Peter's favor is short-lived, however. The reading this week picks up with the very next words of Jesus, with the very next breath of Jesus. This newly minted Messiah revealed to Peter and the others that he was to go to Jerusalem where he would suffer greatly and be killed. He revealed he would also be raised, but I bet Peter didn't hear anything after killed. And Peter would not hear of it. He pulled Jesus aside as if to protect him from the assault of his own words. Peter loved the life he shared with Jesus and their friends, and all he wanted was to protect it. Surely it should have been easy enough to avoid the city and the crowds, to duck the religious and political authorities, They could find a nice little place by the seashore, maybe build a wall. (laughs) But Peter's expectations for himself, for Jesus, and for the faithful were short-sighted. As Jesus put it, Peter had set his mind on human things rather than on divine things, on human expectations rather than on divine hope. At this very moment of the founding of the church, Peter seemed to suggest that the essence of the church was to be a place of comfort and predictability for the churchgoers. Truth be told, it's an attitude I and perhaps we can all sometimes slip into. But Jesus set him straight. Jesus sets us straight. A life set apart from the struggles of others, from struggling with others, is no life at all. If Peter or anyone else who loves Jesus wants to experience real life, then they and we had best follow him deep into the realities of this world. And those realities are full of chaos and catastrophe, conflict and contention. They are, to say the least, messy. But as Rohr points out, living in that messiness is not just something we are required to cope with and put up with. It is the necessary, in fact, the only path to becoming who God means us to be. God's gathering of contraries is, in fact, the very school of salvation the school of love, and that's where growth happens, in honest community and committed relationships. Love is learned in the encounter with otherness. Perhaps the first lesson in this school of love may be to learn to let love be genuine, as St. Paul exhorts us today. 
And that, that little word, let, is critical to our understanding. You see, we're not called to force love or to dredge it up out of some muck that has overwhelmed us. And certainly, we're not to pretend to love. We are not called, in fact, to do anything to love at all because it is love that does the doing. Rather, we are encouraged to let, to allow, to let loose the flow of inexhaustible love that is at the center of our being, that is our deepest, truest nature. When we let love loose, when we open our hearts, it will lead us along the path toward who we really are. People, a people who hate evil, who honor each other more than ourselves, who persevere, who forgive. People who welcome the stranger and however secure and comfortable we may be, reach out to the lowly, the distressed, and the disadvantaged. People whose tendency is to feed and give drink to who, whoever is hungry and thirsty, even, even those we consider enemies. People who take thought for what is noble in the sight of all, who overcome evil with good. People, that is, who let love lead them into a world of differences and conflict, holding lightly to our expectations, yet tenaciously to the divine hope for the world. Noah's Ark is not meant to be merely a children's story whose images adorn our nurseries. It is a mature metaphor for the people of God locked together in this ark of earth on the waves of time, carrying the contradictions, the opposites, the tension, and the paradoxes of humanity, preserving and protecting diversity inside of a safe unity created by God. There is nowhere to go but here, and no better time than now to occupy this reality, to sink, rest into this unity, while bearing the messiness and celebrating the diversity, to take up with Christ and to follow where love leads. We were made for this. And the one who makes us abides with us and leads us together into fullness of life. Amen.